I feel like I was on like an adrenaline rush for like years. It's very exhausting when you come down from an adrenaline rush. And it really wasn't until, I don't know, three or four years ago when things started to shift and we started to bring in more help and I started to take a step back and then my marriage fell apart and my life just like, what felt like came to a screeching halt because I had just been on this like crazy trajectory for so many years. It was quite, it was quite the journey. I mean, it wouldn't change really any of it, but it was, it was a lot. Welcome to the final episode of season four of the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks. What an amazing season it has been. I cannot believe the incredible, uber-influential entrepreneurs we have spoken to this season. You know, one theme that continues to resonate for me in season four is that clarity is everything. When you understand your audience, focus on your core offering and do it well, you will strike gold. Today's guest is the queen of that strategy. I am talking to the Ali Webb, founder of the mega influential salon chain Drybar, which was named one of the top 100 brilliant ideas of 2010 by Entrepreneur Magazine. And that little idea has blossomed into a multi-million dollar 150 store juggernaut. Now Allie's taken that success and turned it into the feel-good company where she invests in women-led businesses. Here's Allie on how she got her start. I had so many different jobs and I did so many different things pre-dry bar. I mean, right before dry bar, I was a stay-at-home mom for five years. And previous to that, I worked doing hair forever. I have naturally curly hair. I grew up in South Florida where, you know, the humidity was not my friend. And I think that started this lifelong obsession with hair and like figuring out how to manage my crazy hair. You know, I, I jumped around, I did other things, but I ultimately came back to like making the decision to go to beauty school, which was one of the best decisions I ever made you know, even though it was not my parents' favorite decision at the time. What did your parents want you to do? I was such a different kid than I am adult. I was like a very quiet, understated wallflower, even my parents would call me, which is like, could not be more opposite of who I am today. I was a people pleaser and I just did what my parents said. I was easy. And if I'm being really honest, my, my parents like thought I would marry well. I mean, I know. Different times, you know, (laughs) but you had different ideas for what you wanted. Different times, you know. I kind of think I maybe thought that too. And uh, and I was very in a rush to get married and find my husband. And I did. And I ended up divorced a couple of years later, which is a whole other podcast. (laughs) My other podcast. (laughs) Yes, that's for your other one. But yeah, my parents wanting me to marry well was like the big goal. Because I was also really bad in school. I think they were just really (laughs) worried where I was going to end up. But my dad even like still says to me like, who knew? You know, (laughs) I shifted somewhere along the way into who I am now, which was a far cry from who I was as a kid. Well, we hear that a lot on this show, and I'm sure you hear that a lot on Raising the Bar, your podcast. A lot of entrepreneurs find that they don't fit into a neat little box. And so what we do is we create the boxes for ourselves. And even before Drybar was Drybar, you were carving your own path. But talk to me about 
the beginning, the genesis of dry bar, before it was dry bar, you were doing a side business straight at home. Yeah. Well, you know, I had spent years, like basically all of my twenties, they lived in New York city and I did hair and then I worked in PR and I had all, you know, I jumped around quite a bit. And then I met my now ex-husband Cameron, who's the creative mastermind behind dry bar and squeeze and okay humans. And he did a rebrand for my jewelry company, Beckett and Quill. Like we're obviously on good terms now. But, you know, I met him when I was in my mid-20s and I was like really ready to get married and have babies. And that was like, I was very driven on that. We lived in New York for a couple of years until we moved to the West Coast and we got married and I had two little boys and I was a stay-at-home mom, which also was like, I thought the coolest thing ever. I was like, I get to not work? I thought I had hit the jackpot and, you know, and I did in a lot of ways. But after five years of being a stay-at-home mom, I got antsy to get out and do something for myself again. And because I'd had almost 10 years of experience doing hair, I'd figured out how to do my own hair. I was pretty good at it at this point. I'd worked at some of the best salons. And so I decided to start this mobile business, which is called Straight at Home. And it was basically like, I mean, it was so many years ago now. If anybody who lives in in LA, specifically Santa Monica, I spent a lot of time at the pump station when my babies were babies. Pump station is like, uh, just for those who don't know, it's like a place for mothers and nursing education and that sort of thing. And, you know, it was like when you're a new mom and I was also new to LA, that was a pretty good place to hang out. So anyways, they had a message board outside. Cam made me this like one page website called Straight at Home. I put like a note up on the message board saying I was a stay-at-home mom and I was a longtime hairdresser. So anybody wanted their hair blown out and I decided to only charge $40 because I thought two twenties was easy and which is way, way, way cheaper than, as you know, going to someone's house, even back then was, you know, you were spending at least a hundred dollars, if not like 200, $300 to have a stylist come to your house. It was only kind of, if you were a celebrity or really rich, you were taking advantage of that luxury. So I was like, I know lots of moms who are like at home with their babies. They would love like a little pick me up of a blowout. I bet if I charged if it was cheap enough, they would call me and I could have this little business. And that's exactly what happened. I also posted on like a mommy group and I just like posted everywhere. And I started getting super busy, super fast. And I was running all over LA with, I think I had a Nissan Xterra at the time and a big duffel bag of all like my hair products that I threw in. And I was blow drying people's hair and they were giving me two twenties and it was so great and perfect. And I was loved it. You know, it was like the perfect thing for me. I don't think I actually made any money because between like the babysitter I had to pay, that was like $20 an hour. And I was only charging $40 an hour and I could only do three clients. And by the time gas and all that, it wasn't like a great business model, but it was a great thing for me personally to get out of the house, do something for myself. And I was able to like talk to adults for a little while instead of being at the park with my kids, which is what I felt like my life had become. And so it was that business that made me realize that I got so busy and I had to say no. And I was like, what do you, what do you do when I can't come to your house? And the response was always pretty similar. It was either I skip it or begrudgingly go to like the fantastic Sam's down the street, which nothing against that business, but it's not a good experience for somebody who just wants to blow out. It's like variable pricing. You're sitting next to a kid getting its haircut. It's not luxurious or, or like special. It's just like, whatever. It's just like a quick fix. And then the other alternative was a full service salon where you're again, paying the very high price and it's a salon and whatever. And so I was like, surely there's a better option here. And I think if we cheap enough, women will come in regularly and yet it feels really special and nice. And it's like only blowouts. And that's what my business was, you know, and that's what I loved. Even when I was cutting hair, I loved getting through the haircut to do the blowout because that's when like 
it came to life for somebody and like the woman got excited about it. And that's just the part that I personally loved. I was like, why isn't there something like this? And so that was when the idea started kind of like percolating for me. And I started talking to my brother and Cam about it. And, you know, it was also in the middle of a recession and, and they were like, do women really need this? And I was like, well, women like me, you know, who have naturally curly hair, which by the way, I thought that would be it. I thought it would only be for women with curly hair, which it turns out as women, we kind of want what we don't have. And so women with straight hair want curls and volume. So I was like, oh, we're going to kill it, you know, because we're going to get all the women, you know, which initially I thought we were only going to get, you know, curly hair women who really struggle with their curly frizzy hair, which it was me, but it turned out it was everybody. And then, you know, so anyways, we opened that first location in 2010 and I mean, just had no idea what we were embarking on. So I want to get deeper into that journey, but I want to really hone in on that getting started piece. So you're Mm -hmm. doing straight at home and it sounds like you found your audience and you realize there's really a market for this. And if I'm already this busy, this quickly, exactly, then we can transfer this experience to a brick and mortar location. And I have been a dry bar devotee for many years, mm-hmm. actually. I know you can't tell because I'm wearing my hair curly right now. <laughs> but the experience is something, in a way, like you said, who needs a blowout? Do these women really need it? And it's like, do we really need a, you know, a $5 Starbucks every day? No, but we want it. Exactly. We like it. And the other thing that I love about Starbucks, for example, is that the experience is systematized. It's repeated. So I know if I go to Coma, Washington and get my same Starbucks drink, it's going to taste the same as it does here at home in LA. So in a way, it feels like that's what you've done with Dry Bar. You created a system, you simplified it, and you created an experience I remember hearing you could get a glass of champagne when you get a blowout. I was like, what? <laughs> For $40, you get a blowout and a glass of champagne? I don't know how they're doing it. Yeah. But I imagine there was a lot of planning that went into the creation of that experience and crunching the numbers and figuring out how to actually scale this business from what you were doing previously it's so flattering to be compared to Starbucks. And that is part of what we have tried to do. And and the best compliment I can ever get is, oh, I've been to Dry Bar in LA and Chicago and Boston and DC and and wherever, you know, so many of our clients pre-COVID and hopefully again, travel and they're in that we're in all the major cities. And when a client says to me, I've had a great experience no matter where I go. And I'm like sitting in the dry bar and couldn't even tell you what city I'm in because it's all the same. That was the goal. I didn't realize by the way, that that was going to be the goal when we started, but instinctively and something that I've looked back on and pondered and like, wow, it was so fascinating that I thought of this then. It was like, when we were starting dry bar, I, I didn't allow stylists that we were hiring to bring in their own tools and products and brushes and all that stuff. I wanted it to supply it really more from an aesthetic standpoint. Like I wanted it to look the same. I realized I wanted the client to have pretty much the same experience, no matter which stylish she sat with. Of course it was going to be varied a little bit, which was great, but I wanted the blow dryers to all match. And I wanted the brushes to all match and the product to be very clean. I wanted this, like aesthetically, I had this idea of what I wanted, which then, you know, led to this, Oh, whenever you go to a dry bar, you have the same exact experience. 
I didn't put a lot of thought into that, but that is what ended up happening. And that is what ultimately became like our North Star. And I also realized early on that for this business model to work, you can't only like the Silas Sally, because if you're only going to drive our 2C Sally, if Sally's not working, you're not going to go. And that doesn't work for us. Find a couple of stylists that you like. They will all like be a little different and there'll be some that you like a little bit more or they do something a little bit different. But like you have a handful of stylists that you like because the idea is like you can go into any driver anytime and every stylist will have enough education and enough knowledge of what we do to deliver this great blowout. So that is so much about what the experience was built on and what I think really made us so successful. The other thing that I think is unique about Drybar is you're not trying to be all things to all people. Even though you are many things to many different hair types, you have a limited menu of services. You know what you do very well. You do blowouts. And in the lookbook, you could get braids, you could add curls to it, but the core service is a blowout. Was there ever any pressure along the way to add more services to zhuzh it up? (laughs) Totally. I mean, there was like a lot of clients who would say like, oh, I just wish I could get a manicure while I'm sitting here. I'm like, "I, I know, I get that. I understand our time is precious, but like, I don't want to be in the manicure business. I don't want to be in the nail business. And I also, I don't know that business. I am not the authority on that. Like, I don't know nails the way I know hair. And then it was also like, can you bring in makeup and do makeup? And like, we played around with it a little bit in the very, very early days. But like, I was like, no, 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 no. We do one thing and we do it really well. And as like a kid, I remember going with my mom to her hair salon where she would get a manicure, pedicure, she'd get her hair like colored, cut all the, you get a facial, you could do all the things, which like, sure, there's something lovely about that. But it was like, they were all like good, you know? And I felt like I wanted us to be great at this one thing and be the authority. And that's it. And that's what I felt like I could be the authority on. That's what I knew is that was most authentic to me. I worried, frankly, that if I brought in manicurists and makeup artists, I wouldn't even know how to manage them because I don't know, I don't have those skills. If a stylist is doing a blowout, I can watch and I can understand exactly what she's doing that's working or not working. And if I didn't have that knowledge, it'd be hard to run a really successful business and to train other people and all the things. But yes, there was pressure and from clients, there was pressure from our investors. They're like, you know, you guys are seeing a hundred women a day. You can sell them all sorts of shit. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to. I don't want to sell out in that way. So that was always like the lens in which we built the business. I find it inspiring that Allie is humble enough to be honest about her limits and strong enough to stand her ground on how that defines her business model. Take it from me, no one understands your core business and offering better than you do. Allie had the confidence that staying in her lane would pay off. She knows hair, she knows her customers, and she knows how to keep it cute. So that naturally unfolded into the next phase of her business, hair products. It was totally a business within a business. And it was not a business that we necessarily planned on getting into. I knew pretty early on that I didn't like that we were using a bunch of different products. They weren't working together from an efficacy standpoint and from a scent standpoint. Like I just didn't like it. I didn't like the way it looked. And I knew that I wanted to develop product, but like I had no idea how to do that. And so that was like a whole other venture. And we raised our first big round with private equity. You know, we did earmark some of that money for product, which is really like kind of an afterthought because the stores were just so on fire. And it was like our main focus was building the stores, but I really wanted to build product. And it was such a fun 
but crazy challenge. And I was like, I know how to develop product to a certain extent because I know product because I've been doing this business forever and I know a lot of different hair products, but it was very daunting and like making them smell good and all of those things were like, it was really risky. And I remember when we, you know, we launched initially with Sephora and they did a test in like 75 doors and they were really great. Sephora was like very much our partner in those early days of helping us figure out what was selling and what wasn't. At that point, it was just like us entering Sephora and Bumble and Bumble. It was like Living Proof wasn't there. Now there's so many hair brands, which is amazing. But at the time it was pretty limited. Yeah, they really like held our hands and helped us launch, you know, that first launch was I think 13 products. And then, you know, we we realized people loved it. And what was the beauty of the product line was that if there wasn't a dry bar near you, which, you know, today we have 150 locations. Back then, I think when we launched, we had like 25 or something. And it was like, if you can't get to a dry bar, here's the products that we're using inside dry bar that you can use on yourself. And so the story just really worked and people loved the brand. And so it was a really big success, but we ended up selling the product business for a lot of money right before the pandemic hit. That was pretty crazy and exciting that that happened. And it was just like, who knew? Like even my brother would say like, I wouldn't have thought like you could develop a product line. I'm like, yeah, me either. But I had some help and I knew what I wanted. And I had this like lab of thousands of stylists who would weigh in on what they liked and what they didn't like. And that helped so much. And, you know, and so we did it. And how were you doing, Allie, throughout that (laughs) entire process? Because that sounds like that's very rapid growth and stepping into an area that is a little out of your wheelhouse, you know, a little in your wheelhouse, but a big leap. Yeah. And I imagine that a lot of entrepreneurs would have trouble juggling it all. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, looking back, it was, it was such an exhilarating time. I just felt like we were on this rocket ship, you know, it was so much adrenaline and so much excitement. And in retrospect, I mean, I ended up getting divorced and like my older son really went through some crazy stuff this last year which I think was maybe part of like the fallout of like just working like a dog for so many years, but I loved it too, you know, and it was, it was kind of hard to find the balance. Um, but more than anything, I loved it, you know, and I really loved what we were doing and it was really exciting. It was just so much momentum and it was just so forward moving and it was so exciting. And it was such a like once in a lifetime thing. It was like growing with or without us kind of thing. I feel like I was on like an adrenaline rush for like years. It's very exhausting when you come down from an adrenaline rush. And when I think back to most of the last like 10 years, I was really on this just like the treadmill almost, you know, just go, 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 go. And, and like push, push, push and do it, you know, and, and that's what we did. And it really wasn't until, I don't know, three or four years ago when things started to shift and we started to bring in more help and I started to take a step back and then my marriage fell apart and my life just like what felt like came to a screeching halt because I had just been on this like crazy trajectory for so many years. It was quite, it was quite the journey. It wouldn't change really any of it, but it was, it was a lot. It's a lot being an entrepreneur. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we always think, I just need to get to this point. Like, I want to be successful. I want to get to the next level. And then sometimes you get to the next level and you're like, wait a minute, I want to go. I want a little bit less of this. Did that experience that you had have any bearing on your interest in partnering up with OK Humans and beginning that new venture? 
Yeah. I mean, Squeeze came before OK Humans and Squeeze launched, our massage concept launched about a year before the pandemic and was really successful. And Squeeze was like very much my brother's passion project. And we'd always been big massage goers. And we've now formed this like feel good company, which is like Squeeze and OK Humans. And that seemed like a very like natural next step for us. But the timing of OK Humans was kind of interesting because I was in the throes of my divorce. I'd just gotten separated from Cam and I was like really having a hard time. And I was going to therapy like two or three times a week and I was really struggling. And I was actually, it's such a great story. I was at Squeeze one day. At that point, I was basically like, keep doing all the things that make you feel good was like the name of the game. I was leaving Squeeze. I was walking down the street on Ventura Boulevard and Christy stopped me on the street and she's like, you're Allie, right? And I was like, yes. And you know, I've, I've been stopped a fair amount. So I was like, yes, I get I'm like, oh God. But she was like, I'm Chrissy. I've been DMing you. I actually just had a meeting with Brittany and Brittany Driscoll, who is my business partner. She was our head of marketing at Drybar. She's the CEO and, and co-founder of ours on Squeeze. And you know, so we work very closely together and she's also a co-founder of OK Humans. And she had just had a meeting literally with Christy about this concept. And Chrissy's like, can I just tell you really quickly what this is? And she's like, I went back to school to become a licensed marriage and family counselor. And first, and then my ears perked up. I was like, oh, I need that, you know, in my mind. Like, <laughs> and then she was like, you know, and I, I really want to bring, I really want to create an experience around talk therapy. Like historically, you know, it's like you're in some weird medical office. There's just not a good experience around it. And she's like, I really want to turn you know, kind of do what you did with dry bar with therapy and make it like accessible and like in a shopping center, like the way dry bar is. And like, this just becomes a part of our daily lives. And this was like three years ago, way before people were talking about like mental health, the way they are now. But she said this to me and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I had also was in, like I said, the throes of my own shit and I was going to therapy a lot. So I was like, yes, you know, we, people need therapy and people need to start talking about this and we need to normalize this and blah, blah, blah. And I loved it. And I fell in love with the concept. And then I called Brittany after I walked away from her and I was like, Christy's amazing. This is an amazing idea. We should definitely do this under like the feel good company. And so, yeah, you know, it was like, it did feel somewhat serendipitous that I, you know, had met her at this point and I was like, I want to be involved and I want to, you know, really contribute to this. And I feel really strongly about it. We've since, like I said, formed this company, like the umbrella company, the feel good company, which is okay. Humans squeeze. We're launching another business soon. That is also in the feel good space. I can't tell you yet. The the reason for, for having this umbrella company, as you can imagine, is like efficiency of, of scale. You have one hub where you have HR and marketing and blah, blah, blah. And it's like all under one roof. And I'm very pleased and proud of that evolution because having gone through what I've gone through in my life with building Drybar and like I was saying, all of the learning and stress and excitement, anxiety of that to, you know, now these companies that are making people feel really good. I'm really proud of like where we've come and my own personal evolution. And just really at this point in those businesses, I'm an investor and advisor, which is a really nice place to be. I am not in the weeds on those businesses and I'm very happy about that too. Notice how up till this point, the Feel Good Company brands are all about customer convenience with one simple, easy to understand, high demand offering. If you've made it to this point, you might be asking yourself, but what if I don't want to do one thing for the rest of my life? The answer is you don't have to. Be like Allie. She established her career, invested in other brands with the same business model, 
and she's ready to innovate and expand on everything she's learned in her career. When do you have time to start a jewelry company? <laughs> well, so when things calm down from, from Dry Bar, and like I said, I'm not in the weeds on Squeeze and OK Humans, and I'm just more of an advisor role, an investor, which I'm really happy to do. I actually came across this woman. Her name is Meredith Quill, who is a stay-at-home mom of three. She used to be an actress and started a jewelry company. And what she did that was so brilliant was like she's creating like very dainty jewelry, like what you can see that I'm wearing. It feels very high end and it has that like luxurious feel. It just doesn't have that price tag. And for somebody like me, who's over the years become very obsessed with jewelry, I like buying it a lot, but you're not going to buy a $3,000 necklace a lot, or at least most people aren't. But to buy a $300 necklace or $150 bracelet or whatever, this feels like something that's more affordable. So our kind of little tagline is high end, not high spend, because it feels and looks high end, but doesn't have the price tag, which of course dovetails very nicely into like what I built in my most of my career with dry bar. It's like, it feels and looks really high end, but there's like a lower price tag. And so that's really our sweet spot. And I just, I felt like she already had this like thriving business. Someone had sent me a piece of her jewelry. That's how I discovered it. And I was like, you know, surely if we could kind of wrap a better brand around this, get some marketing and, um, you know, some kind of influence on it. And I could use my network of people and my connections. Like I'm sure we could make this a little bit bigger. It's been really fun. What it's been awesome about it is it's direct to consumer, which I, I don't know that world at all. It's so out of my wheelhouse. You know, I understand brick and mortar and face-to-face customer service, but this is like a whole other world, which isn't like as easy as I think I thought it would be. So that's been a really like fun challenge for me that I'm really enjoying because there's no, there's not a lot of overhead. We don't really have employees. So it's like, it's a fun business to run. Yeah. And you can keep learning in a new area. I think that's really the mark of a great entrepreneur is that like, even if your business gets acquired or you decide to close a business or start something new, that there's always something that can be learned or explored because obviously, you know, the market's always changing (laughs) and you're always evolving. So I love that you really let your passions really drive your next decisions in business and that you really spend time knowing who your customer is and you can deliver all of these different things that they want. That's awesome. Yeah. I started noticing that people wanted to usually know like what I was wearing from jewelry to shoes to clothes, you know, that I was like, maybe it's out of left field, but it's also, it's like a very personal, like passion project for me. And it, why not? And I'm really enjoying it. Follow your passion because it's your business. And no one knows how to run your business like you do. On this podcast, we aim to inspire you with stories of how other entrepreneurs followed their passion. Yet the goal of I Make a Living is not to tell you how to run your business. You have to choose your own destiny. Where you go from here is in your hands. Here are more takeaways from Allie's interview today. You are capable of more than what others expect of you and sometimes of what you've even envisioned or expected of yourself. Own one thing and do it well. Keep working and perfecting your big idea before you move on to the next. Convenience and simplicity is key. Make things convenient for your customers, but also keep it simple for yourself. Stick to what you know. You can find dry bar locations all across North America and keep an eye out for Squeeze and OK Humans coming soon near you.
And if you're a jewelry lover, check out BeckettandQuill.com. The I Make a Living podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. Balancing your books, client relationships, and business isn't easy. FreshBooks gives you the info and time you need to focus on your big picture, your business, team, and clients. Right now, you can go to freshbooks.com slash podcast and take advantage of an exclusive offer for our listeners. And while you're at it, check out all of the resources made available to you through our show notes. Our executive producer is Francisco Erzmendi. Editorial and content producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. And I am Damona Hoffman, your producer and host. We hope you've enjoyed season four of the I Make a Living podcast. We'd love to keep in touch. You can follow me at Damona Hoffman and FreshBooks at FreshBooks on all of the social platforms for more tips, tools, and resources because it's your business.